To my younger self, what's your story? To my younger self. 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 What's your story? everybody doing it is so well so good to see you how is everyone doing it is um a little cold and a little hot at the same time i'm not sure what's going on with this weather up here but we're alive and we are strong and we're very grateful to God for that. Listen, for those of you who live on this part of the world, today is tax day. <laughs> today is a tax man's day. So if you haven't filed your taxes, you know what that means, right? Yeah. So get on it, okay? Get on it, get on it, get on it. Good morning. The show is to my younger self. My name is Zoe Baraka. We're running the show on three different continents. We have our producers um, uh, in Africa, uh, in this part of the world, and of course, uh, in Europe. And we are just having fun, okay? <laughs> the power of the internet, like we always do. I'm very excited today, so just roll with me. Once you jump in, I want you to do something for me. Say hello to me, say good morning to me, uh, say you're welcome, say something to me in your local dialect. I do want to hear from you. As we are Africans, we always like to greet each other when we wake up in the morning. We greet each other, we ask, how did you sleep? Did you dream well? What's going on with you? We are loving people, okay? Alrighty, so I do want to hear from you. The second thing I want you to do for me is please, please, please hit on the share button and just invite your friends. Today we have the Honorable Betty Mold Idrisu with us. You do not want to miss this. I promise you that. So please, 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 please hit on the share button. Share, 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 share. Comment and share. That's why we do this, okay? We want you to be a part of the storytelling experience. Listen, how did you sleep? Baraka dazwa to you. Sanungo dazwa. Yayade. Kakwana lafia. It is very, very good to see you. I just greeted you in one of the oldest languages in the world, if not the oldest language in the world, the Hausa language. Yakenken tuma tuma fuduwewela. We are very, very grateful to God that you woke up well. I just greeted you in my father tongue, which is the Kosal. And so much to you. Uh, I greeted you in Wale because today, Honorable Betty uh, Mold Idrisu, uh, she married into the Wale um uh, you know, uh, uh, should I say tribe? So I made sure to kind of, <laughs> you know, 
say a greeting in Wale. Of course, if you speak Dagbani, I am also greeting you. Ndinao to you, Wezo, Leke, Efuan. It is very, very good to see you. I just greeted you in Ewe. If you are, you know, in the Volta region of Ghana or anywhere in the world, really, and you speak Ewe, I just greeted you. Etisang, Akwaba, Mawachin. It is good to see you. We're very glad that you woke up this morning. I just greeted you in the Akan, you know, a language in different dialects of the Akan language. Saubonani to you. If you speak Zulu, South Africa, always stand up, stand up. You guys do so well for us. During the week, our numbers rise because of you guys. We're very grateful to you. Ibella to you, Ibiokibari to you. If you speak Moshi, I am greeting you. Te Oyo Tang. Do you speak Ga? Ojeko to you. You're welcome. Come on in, come on in. Don't be silent. Don't be silent. Please greet me in your local dialect. Lale to you. That is hello in Chadian Arabic. Itiomafe to you. How are you? It is good. Way, way good to see you. Salam alaikum to you. If you speak, you know, the proper Arabic. Ekaro <laughs> to you and Ekabo to all of our Yoruba speaking friends. It is good to see you. Nagadef. If you speak Wolof, uh, Senegalese people, it is wonderful to see you. Thank you so much. Jambo to you. Habari Ghani. Habari ya Way. Wonderful to see you. Karibu, Karibu Sana. I just greeted you in Swahili. Kotong to you, Amuhelang to you. If you speak Sesoto, I'm so thankful that you're here. Kotoli'i to you if you speak Fofoli and you are, uh, uh, you know, a Fulani. I am so grateful that you're here. Akei to you. We're paying homage to our story, uh, our storytelling friends in Aiti Sheri. We know you guys, we know your story, and we cannot leave you behind because we. We are both, all of us combined, are Africans, no matter where we, we are in the world, right? Bon dia to you if you speak Portuguese. Bonjour to you. Bon, uh, bonjour. Buenos dias, of course. In Maraba, welcome, welcome. Welcome. If you notice, I'm kind of rushing a little bit today because I want to get the uh, uh, the greetings out of the way, not because we don't love you and to my younger self, but because the storyteller today is, uh, you know, so incredibly phenomenal that I want us to get on it right away. Again, please tell your friends to jump on. For those of you who reserved seats when we posted and made the announcement that Honorable Betty Mould was gonna be on the show, um, do not slack, okay? Please, please, your seats are ready. So jump on, jump on, jump on. I see a few people on here already. Ah, uh, Sadi, it is good to see you. Ndina Milo to you. Oh, hi, Professor Audrey. What's up? It is good to see you. We haven't seen you in a while. Thank you for joining us uh, again. We want you to share, 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 share. Let me introduce you to our um, our guest storyteller on To My Younger Self today. One, let me just say it right out here. Google is your friend in this instance, because if I was to introduce to you um, Honorable Betty Mould with all of her achievements and uh, you know on her bio and resume, we wouldn't get to storytelling. It would take us a day and a half, okay? So we kind of took little bits and pieces and really tried our best to 
compress it into like three paragraphs, it does not do her justice. But here we go. Honorable Betty Moldedrisu is a member of the National Democratic Congress. That is no secret, okay? Even though this platform is not a political platform, I think it is fitting that we put that here today. She was Minister for Education in Ghana from 2011 to 2012 under the late President John Atta Mills. She attended Achimota Secondary School and the University of Ghana London School of Economics. This is us compressing, okay? She is the first woman to lead the Attorney General's office as the first female Attorney General uh, in Ghana or off Ghana. Prior to politics, she had been the head of legal and constitutional affairs at the Commonwealth Secretariat in London. Can you tell I am excited? <laughs> she has and continues to shape and legislate some very important legal work, especially in the area of copyright and intellectual property. For all of you who are writers, who are musicians, who are, are filmmakers and storytellers, um, she's our woman, okay? Everything we create, all the content we're creating, it is because of her we get to... Um, to protect our creativity. Um, her scope of influence is truly phenomenal as she continually inspires generations after her. In fact, my sister uh, went to law school because of people like her and of course, Joyce Bauer Mokhtari. I personally believe there is not a single area of the legal system in Ghana that Honorable Betty Mould Idrisu has not held structure, firm and maintain. To be honest, every once in a while, we have the singular privilege of having a storyteller pass by with an, such an incredible biography. Like I said already, the only thing we can tell you is Google is your friend. Just go on Google or ask Siri if you're driving. Siri, who is Betty Mould Idrisu? And you will be incredibly amazed. Ladies and gentlemen, like we always do in grand to my younger self fashion, please help me welcome the absolutely incredible, absolutely phenomenal, absolutely awe-inspiring. Listen, Zoe is starstruck today okay bear with me i'll be giggling and fangirling like i always do when i meet one of my idols okay <laughs> so please please help me welcome the phenomenal venerable absolutely ageless honorable betty mold idrisu my goodness hello <laughs> Zoe! <laughs> oh God! I am screaming and kicking. I'm so excited to have you on today. You are oh. more than Google. <laughs> <laughs> and I did just a quarter, maybe a third of what we needed to tell people about you. You're welcome to the show. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. You know, it's 10 minutes in and Zoe's job is done, Auntie Betty. Uh, excuse me, guys, if you hear me referring to her as Auntie Betty, for me, Zoe, it is a sign of respect. And also, I want to give you guys the impression that I'm very close to her, you know, famous by proxy. <laughs> Don't be infamous, my proxy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but Auntie Betty, you're very welcome to the show. And you know what? Over to you. We are ready. We are set to hear stories from you today. Thank you so much. It's um, it's a rare privilege and a pleasure. I don't usually 
come on such programs because I've been trying to write my memoirs. (laughs) And it's it's, even doing it without the political part, you know, Mm. going up to 2008, 2009. But it's those who I admire you in the creative industry, those of you who find... um, writing and these things it comes so easy to you hmm it's not an easy one you know <laughs> so i'm three quarters of the way through and i i took a hiatus for about two years i think i need to, you need to go back yes so it's great to be here if you i've been thinking about what you've asked me to do over the last uh, day or two. And, you know, I always say that I'm an, I'm a pre-independence baby. I'm a gold coaster since I was 70, <laughs> just a couple it. of weeks ago. <laughs> oh, God. And you don't look it one bit. Thank you so much. Oh, wow. But, you know, Dr. Kwame Nkrumah was my father's personal friend. Oh, and... My father even helped influence him, my late father, because they were in America together in the 1940s. Wow. So my father, my late father, W.J. William Jacob Quisimold, had businesses. He had an office on Wall Street in America in 1942. You mean like pre-Wall Street? This is like Black Wall Street. I know, before... The Second World War. (laughs) And I think Kwame Nkrumah was at Howard University. And that's how they met up. And there was, you know, my father was a big financier, so he helped him. And even my father was one of those who first went to the Manchester Conference, is it? Uh, my, My nephew, Ivor Greenstreet, knows this history far better than I do. What I remember is growing up in Kwame Nkrumah's Ghana. Because that's what it became. And my earliest memories are of Jamestown, British Accra, and independence. You know, those are my earliest memories. And some say we came from a privileged family, but we're always very conscious of being from Jamestown for me. And then my mother was from a little village in the Kwabri, um district of the Ashanti region. Wow. Kuku, mm-hmm. Kuku farms. I personally, I inherited several Kuku farms. Oh my her. God. <laughs> and my, my politics is based there. Why is my politics based there? Not only because of my mother's heritage, but that's where I love. And that's where the need was the most for the National Democratic Congress, the Nkrumah's brand of politics. You know, we're not very popular. <laughs> we try not to be. Oh, God. So I, they, and, and the Ashantis appreciate strong women. Mm. They appreciate women because it's the matrilineal society there. Yes. Mm. And... Even though I could have made my political career and other careers at Jamestown, because that's where I grew up. That's my love. My, you know, I, I, it's it's me. 
I'm first... more of a James Town girl, you know, personally. And luckily, I still speak Ga. I, I ache to speak Ga because Ga is a dying language now. There are only a few hundred thousand of us, and most of us have intermarried, so right. we don't pass it on to our children. So I love to be, and I, because of that, deliberately, I always have in my house a cook or a driver or a gardener who speaks Ga. So I speak Ga every day, all the time, <laughs> you know, to, and it, it's helped me over the years. But my background was such that telling myself who I am, where I'm from, already was difficult because even though my paternal grandfather built his house, he was, in, he was a civil servant, and my grandmothers, uh, sorry, my grand aunties, sorry, my aunties, my father's sisters, were born in several parts of Nigeria because it was all one colony, uh, one, you know, protectorate or one um, Yeah, they called it the region. protectorate back then. Yes, of the West Africa, British West Africa. Mm -hmm. And you know, one day I was doing a consultancy for the World Intellectual Property Organization in the late 1990s. I actually went to where my father and his sisters were born in Northern Nigeria. Oh, the name escapes me. I will come, I will come up with it, but it's, you know, after Kaduna. I went there to go and see the place for myself because not only did my father bring forth us very strong women, female children, the sister after him is the mother of Mrs. Chinri Hesse, who is the first oh. woman chancellor of the University of Ghana. Oh my God. And the sister after, after her, Antinana, used to call her mother. She taught me how to be a matriarch. <laughs> but she also brought forth two professors. Professor, one who just died, unfortunately, medical professor, famous man. And then the other professor, he was the dean of the faculty of law, eh? Professor Fusuaba. These are my first cousins. So we, you know, we 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 grew up in a family of learned, you know, having to achieve in that environment. And my aunties on my father's side always insisted, you know, that, that I, I achieve. They used, to come to the, yes. Yes, they used to come to the university. And that's, that's, the, uh, that's the environment in which I grew up in, that you must achieve. Having said that, after my first memories of the... Gold Coast, and we traveled around because my father was a timber man oh. and a businessman, and he did business across West Africa at that time. So he knew he knew all the Niger the Nigerian presidents, um, the Nigerian uh, politicians, Tos Tos Benson in Badoue. The, the the names escape me now, but the Nigerian president Azikowe. I remember going to meet them in Nigeria <laughs> and Shaka Stevens in Sierra Leone. You know, it was one kind of environment for, for him. Yeah, he was, he was the representative at one time 
of the business, the merchants of British West Africa. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good title right there. And if we were going to do a biopic. Everyone who comes on the show knows I'm a big proponent of biopics. Of course, I would want to do a biopic on you. If you gave me well. the rights, I would take it. <laughs> But I, I would give you rights, limited by contract. Limited by contract. <laughs> no, but so with this, you know, in mind, we were rather international. And already as a child, a baby, I had gone to Kede with him. I had gone to Takradi. We lived in Takradi. That's where I went to class one. And then he took us to Liberia. And that because he knew the former Liberian president, Tubman, Tubman at that time. So he was doing big timber business there. So I went with my brother, the one after me, William, and then my parents, they went to settle there. After about less than a year in class two or so, I came back one day slanging in the Liberian, the American <laughs> Liberian slangs. <laughs> My mother got a heart attack. <laughs> this is not going to work. <laughs> so you know what they did? My mother's best friend at that time was a hostess, an air hostess on the newly opened Ghana, Ghana, Ghana Airways. And so she was going up and down to London. And they got us into, they, they decided that being in London was better than being in Ghana or moving me around so I'd be slanging. Auntie Betty, now I'm so curious. I want to hear you slang in the Liberian. <laughs> <laughs> no, please. Oh my God. I, I love Liberian Liberians, but I don't want to talk about <laughs> like that. Oh, that's an art. It's a craft. <laughs> it is. It's wonderful, you know. And they have the same, you know, similar slang derivative from Creole in the right. Sierra Leonean. Yes. And that's the derivative of Pigeon English as yes. well. So, <laughs> but at that time, my mother, who's father, by the way, was a white Frenchman from Marseille. Oh. My mother was half caste, half French, half Ashanti. Wait, what? <laughs> yes. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's such an incredible story because he, her father, who I never met, was one of the managers of CFAO. And I don't know what he came to do in the Ashanti cuckoo forest and met my grandmother who was about 15 or 16 at that time and they had a relationship and my mother was born wow. <laughs> having said that he looked after my mother completely till she was 21 oh, he, even when he left Ghana he left her properties he left her bank accounts he sent her to the convent schools hence yeah. our Roman Catholicism which has remained with me all my life, you know, my mother was a very devout Roman Catholic. She used to tell me stories about the nuns putting you on your knees to to, to kneel in the gravel in the yes. hot sun. I went, and yes, I did it. Catholic <laughs> <laughs> like no Oh my God! Hmm. Yes. So, 
that was my life growing up. My father was Anglican, but she was a very strong Roman Catholic, and we all were baptized, and we all had our first communion and confirmation in the Roman Catholic faith. We were dragged to church every Sunday, and it's all my life I've been extremely faithful in the church. It's my it's my absolute joy. It's been my it's been my rock. It's been it's been everything to me through all these years. I didn't know it at that time. I used to berate my mother that yeah, instead of letting us go out on Good Friday, everybody's going to party. <laughs> You're taking us to church. Let's, church. Let's go to church. <laughs> you know? So that was my background. So when I got to the UK, at that time, there was this phenomena, which I've spoken about on the BBC, mm. called foster care, where they placed us with a rather working class white family. Wow. And yes. We were, and there was a certain generation of us, including the Nigerians and Sierra Leoneans. Ghanaians were just a few because most people couldn't afford it. You had to pay. They pay we paid for them for us to be looked after. Wow. So I must have been about seven or eight, seven. It was the most horrific experience, not because the foster parents themselves were not nice people. They were a fantastic couple. But they also had other foster children. Mm. And I encountered some of the worst bullying and worst abuse ever in my life as a child of eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. And then, to my horror, they brought my brother, who also started slanging from Liberia, <laughs> and, and two, two other cousins of mine. One was a Manu Plange, and um, the other from the Snowden family, this lady who was the air hostess. They were my mother's oldest friends. So I went there first, alone. And that's when, you, if you talk about discrimination, they didn't know how to braid, what to do with my hair. So they would just brush it and then tie the top of it. Oh my God. <laughs> what they called pigtails at that time. <laughs> people braid this, uh, it's a euphemism. Pigtails. I know. Oh God. Pigtails. And I went to a school, I walked to school every morning, and I would be the only black in the whole school, not even in was my class. Was it segregated at the time also? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, this is in wow. the 60s. This is in the, around 1960. So, yes, there, there was no, sorry, there was no segregation. They were very nice people, the adults. Mm. And yes, they were very, very nice people. They just thought we were different and treated us differently, but nicely. You know, they, you didn't feel the segregation. They didn't feel that you were being treated different, even though you were completely different from everybody else. Yes. But the bullying, mm. the bullying, 
I can't begin to describe to you the kind of bullying, naked cruelty mm. that uh, an eight-year-old girl had to suffer at the hands of an abusive, obviously very troubled, now I can't think of it, Jamaican. She was from Jamaica at oh, that time. Much so she bigger. Looked like much you. Bigger. Pardon? Yes. She like you. Yes, she was. I told you the white people there were very nice people. The son of the house was a very nice guy. And um, the parents, the foster parents themselves, were very nice people. They didn't know what was going on. And this, I believe, has contributed to my being as strong as a rock. Mm. Even though at that time, I didn't think so. It was my brother, and he's my cousins, younger than me, who came to, who came to me. Mm. and who came to also be part of the adoptive process. At that time, the culture for us Africans was that you were better off being brought up in that white culture. You'd get better schooling. You'd be just like the whites, <laughs> you know? Because that, that was the culture we had at that time. And it wasn't strange. And my parents sacrificed a lot to keep me there. You know, it's when my brother came and my, um, my other two other cousins, and they, as soon as they realized what was going on, they said, they're not going to put up with this, <laughs> you know? And they fought the girl back. They fought back wow. at her. I still didn't have that much courage. And one day it became so cruel, the cruelty became so intense for me that I, I tried to get hold of my father and couldn't because he was in Liberia mm. or Ghana and there were no telephones, definitely no internet, nothing, no lines of communication. I'd even forgotten what my mother looked like, you oh. know, at that time because that was about three no. years. See, yeah. Hazy memories. All I remember is that she was a very beautiful, beautiful, um, fair woman. But I didn't remember more than that. Indeed, when they brought me back, my father had to show me who she was at the airport. Oh, wow. So to cut a long story short, this is three, four years. Sometime around 1965, 1964, I picked up my bag and ran away. I left. <laughs> I left. I sat on a bus with no money in winter. Sat on a bus because I couldn't bear what was happening. After years, I sat on a bus. And I remember this very clearly, you know, and I, I wonder how I had the bravery or the, I didn't know, and all, when they asked me where I was going, I said I was going to London to look for my auntie. <laughs> my auntie Janet, who, in fact, she just died last year. I was going to London to look for my auntie and she would take me away because where we were was Red Hill. Red Hill was less than an hour from London. So I sat on the bus and the bus took me somewhere and then I got off. 
And I sat there because I didn't have money for another bus. So I sat there and the buses came and went. I remember it. So I remember the memories of the red, red coach buses, the, the one-story one, not the double-decker. And I sat there. And then eventually the police came because it was rather strange. <laughs> a little black girl sitting in a bus stop with, with nothing. Pigtails. <laughs> oh. Pigtails. <laughs> what had happened is that some older man across the road. No, I lied. What happened is that an older man across the road, you know the British, they look out of their lace curtains to see mm -hmm. what's going on. So I did, he, he saw it and then he called me. And trustingly, I went with him. Went. Wow. Upstairs to his council flat. He was very, very nice to me. I'm just so divinely lucky. And he gave me a cup of tea and biscuits oh and called the police without me knowing. And so the police came and took me away. It was a haze then what happened. But by the time I got to wherever I was going, my father had come because they oh had reported my to my God. father. So my father had flown down immediately. My father had come, my auntie had come, and my brother and cousins were able to tell our foster mother what had gone on. That I, you know, the bullying and the abuse that had gone on. And my, I, I know that, the, and I remember the girl's name. She was called Joy. And I remember my brother told me that they took her away. They, that my foster parents wouldn't allow her to live there anymore. So with that trauma, and it's trauma I don't talk about often. I remember when I was at the Commonwealth, the BBC called me for uh, and said that, my name had, I think I had done an interview somewhere. And when they did some Googling. <laughs> Google think, is our friend. <laughs> my name had popped up with this whole experience. And they actually, you know, located me and asked me if I'll be prepared to talk about it. They did a whole series on those from Nigeria. Some of them even left their children there. For adoption. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, they, they never, never went back. They never went back for their children. But and they oh. went, the series went into great detail. They followed up the children they, who are living different lives in the UK, but who remembered their past and wanted to reconnect with their parents. They followed up um, the, the adoptive parents and so on. I didn't want those details. But I spoke about it, and I was one of the few who openly spoke about that experience. So it's something that's, if you ask me about my childhood, apart from Jamestown and Winneba and, you know, the Ashanti region, this, this really is my first traumatic, <laughs> the first Yes, the first traumatic experience. But what did it do for me? It shaped me. Mm. And I think that um, it's, it's uh, unfortunately out of adversity, 
you 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 and you want to live the instinct to live and you know and to make something of your life it then shaped me and i was enabled to come back home mm. i don't want to talk too much about the schooling that i came back into because i did go to privileged schools i did have a secondary education and i had a wonderful time thereafter you know in i went to various schools for some of these reasons of the trauma and illnesses and other things i went to ghana international school and that shaped me also to accept people and to give me diversity i was wow. one of only two ghanians in my class and i had the most wonderful experience there and um I also went to Achimota school and I spent 2 years there. There is the story of form 2. When I went to Achimota school, we had started the four year system. So I went straight into form 2. The next year was a coup d'etat against Kamukura. <laughs> 1966. They said scrap everything that had been done before. We are going back to the five year system. So oh. then we did form 2 again. and in achimota i was placed in form 2c that's a stream for the roman catholics because we used to go to mass every single day and twice on sundays i could sing the mass in latin whether you liked it or not once your religion was roman catholic you went to 2c it's helped me i didn't realize that myself <laughs> You were probably like oh god why why <laughs> you know and um after the after going back to Ghana International School I they said oh my maths was different so I should do form 2 again so I did form 2 3 times oh. <laughs> I, I don't know why I don't think it's made me a better person <laughs> Well, it is one of my life's experiences that I will never forget wow. and and this to me when i became minister of education mm, look at it, that it, it's a memory that stayed with me yeah this going to form two three times mm. because number one you might think that oh i'm doing it it will happen to me because maybe Ah, I didn't like maths which I didn't like maths but <laughs> you know um joining your club <laughs> you know why should it happen and it it was just a distortion of our educational system the yeah. changes in our educational system evolved around nothing other than politics and that's that, what study just yes. said she says this thing yes. of changing school systems when governments yes. change sucks yes. the yes. leaders do not care about how it will affect the children why don't we that's, think and look at me i remember it from 1966 how many years is that my lifetime mm-hmm. i remember the trauma this had on me I can't imagine and I'm not talking politics here yeah. but because even during my time as minister of education I resisted certain changes very fiercely yes. you yeah. know and um I'm not an educationist right 
So I wasn't the expert in that, but I, because of the experience I had had as a child, it's not, I couldn't understand why anybody would want to change an educational system. At, Especially at, at, when it's working already. Yes, at their own will, mm. just because they want to do something different from what the previous government did. I mean, if it ain't broke, you know, I, I don't, I, and they don't know the trauma it causes to their children. They don't think about that. They don't think about that. No, they don't. Look at today, I'm sorry to say, with this shift system and mm. children having to stay home, go to school at certain times, and it's very, very traumatic, you know, and I think that... Auntie Betty, just to even cut in, just yesterday, I, I went to Fantaman Girls. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Yay, my niece <laughs> Just yesterday on our school platform, someone had posted how, you know, at this time of year, they should have been in school already. But I guess because of the shift system, some of them are now getting a chance to go to school or something. Mm. And a whole STC bus literally just flipped over. Oh, yes. I and read. these kids were, there was no... It, I was so, yes, just watching them coming out of a flipped over big bus with their, you know, provisions and boxes and everything just all over the place. They in their school uniforms and with no help whatsoever. And this could have been avoided if only they were in school already. Um, but the good thing about, I mean, the only positive thing about that, there were no deaths involved. Yes, there were just no deaths. Trauma. But just the trauma, trauma would, just like it stuck with you in 1966, yes. something yes. years from now, another one of those girls would say, this happened to me, you know? Would wow. be telling her story to Zoe's daughter. <laughs> So, so, you know, there's much more to education than just changing of curriculum, changing of syllabus. Now they change, they're changing textbooks at will, rewriting histories, but it's happening not only in Ghana and Russia too, it's happening. You it's, know, it's, yeah, it's, also, it's, honestly, it's happening here. The history books are being changed. Yeah, changed, yes. <sighs> but it, it was such a privilege to be the Minister of Education. Mm. It, was, it was a wonderful experience for me. And I wanted to make an impact. And I think I did mm. in, in, um, in a little way. I didn't have I enough time. Yes, but <laughs> I didn't have enough time there to do some of the things I wanted to do out of born out of my own personal experiences. Mm. But that's a story for another day. Because I want to jump a little mm. into my second or third story. Okay. Which talks, which talks about why I'm a lawyer. <laughs> Oh, I think uh, if Ralia is here, this is her story because she's here just for that. <laughs> Maybe not Ralia. <laughs> you know, as I said, I came from this family of very determined people who are determined 
that at that time I should be the first woman chief justice. What is that? I hadn't wow. even gone to university yet. And I even had a checkered university history because I was sent to the UK again to do A-levels, but my parents were very conscious this time of what I went through. So they put me in a very structured environment and I was doing A-levels in the UK system. And I developed something else that caused me a problem in my life. I developed epileptic fits. Wait, what? Yes, in when I was 19 and in the UK. <laughs> I remember going into a room. That time they had the first scan. <laughs> scan test. The whole room, the whole room was full of the machinery. The machinery, <laughs> the whole room. It's not like now where you have a little something. No, the whole room was full of wires and cords and nurses and doctors and full of machines. It was the most terrifying experience. But I did the scan and they said a little tip of my brain, there was a scar on my brain which showed a little tip had opened and that had um, that had started the epileptic fit. And I said, at, at the age of 19, I said, yes. I, I, in 1920, epileptic fits. So they discovered in the end, the doctors, they, they were very, very precise there. They discovered in the end and through my phone calls to my mother that I was delivered by forceps delivery. And it might have you know, that there might have been some pressure on the brain. So just be careful, all of you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they do those things now. But this was, so it set me back. My mother, you know, in my education, she said, insisted I come back to Canada. I'm the only daughter. And I was the firstborn, three boys after me. She said she will not be in, in Ghana. Her only daughter is in the UK for yes. what it is law. I can come and do it here. So I was shipped back to Ghana after a year in the UK A-levels. So that was a lovely year in the UK. It was a year, and I saw a picture later on last year. Somebody sent me a painting of, my, of myself amongst whether it's black women pioneers or black female activists. And alongside was Angela Davis. Oh my you, God. You, you know Angela Davis. Yes. I went on demonstration in the UK at that time in support of free Angela Davis. <laughs> oh my God. I just you don't know what's a, a huge pleasure, I mean, satisfaction it was for my life that, yes, and I told my brother William, oh, and it meant that, that you know, it meant that my life at that time, even then, I knew I was on, I knew I was on the right path in fighting for women's activism. Oh, but these were all the impacts of women. It was hanging in the, I think, African, Africa, Afrostats, we used to call it, African Center Lagos, mm -hmm. where they were having an African Women's Month. I couldn't believe it. And I don't think they did it deliberately, but there I was, me, Betty Moore, <laughs> hanging beside Angela Davis, my icon. Oh my God. 
Oh, you know? wow. So even wow. at that time, it was, you know, it was the, the history was being written for me. Yes. So when I went to Legon, or when I came back to Ghana, they said, I have to go to Legon. I said, fine. They said, I didn't have, there was some entry exam you did to go into Legon. And you had to do a course into it. And I hadn't done that course, so they wouldn't allow me into Legon. So I had to go to Accra Academy, write an extra A-level and do that course, general study, something. So for one year, I was one of the first. It was just. Yes, I've had a checkered life. Wow. I was, uh, indeed, I was very proud of it too, because I was one of the first female pioneers of Accra (laughs) Cablero. And my youngest brother, Alex, today, my youngest brother, Alex, today, is chairman of the either the board or the old students association. Wow. Because the three of them after me went to Accra Akablao. They are But you know, it was strange at that time for a woman. They, they had just opened it for six formers and we could only do day. <laughs> I loved it. It got me out of the house every day from Abeka <laughs> to Accra Akablao. Oh, I loved my it. God. So that's my, and I'm on a platform with the 1970 to 72 year group for Accra Cablo. When I was Minister of Education, I did things for them. I went there, the girls, there was a girls group of, okay, ladies, older women's group of people. (laughs) And we did, we did something for the school. It was great. I went to address them. It was fabulous. All part of growing up. You never know what impact it will have on your later life. So I knew what I wanted to be in my life. I didn't listen to anybody. I knew I was going to be an archaeologist or anthropologist. Yes. Why are you sounding surprised? Because you're a lawyer. Hello. Hello. So on my University of Ghana forms, I put they put the course. I said archaeology because that's my interest. I loved ancient and ancient and old things, ancient civilizations, old. I loved it with a passion when I was young. So I put archaeology. So then in 1973, um. In, in June or July, they said, oh, the acceptances had come for Legon. And at that time, they posted it up on the notice board. Mm. So I went on the main notice board, stood there, stood there, looked around, looked around, looked around. My name wasn't on. Oh, <laughs> when I had these fantastic passes, you can't tell me my name wasn't on. So <laughs> then somebody... I knew eh, from Achimota, one of my 1965-year group, came and tapped me. And she said, Betty, go to the law faculty. I said, for what? She said, your name is on the law faculty. I said, how? Do you know what happened? My mother (laughs) changed my form. 
After I had, I, I gave it to her to send to Lagos. She changed the form and put law. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, my fate was predetermined from my birth. At that time, there was no way a daughter was going to do archaeology or anthropology. You either do law, medicine. <laughs> My mother changed my application form and oh. sealed it and I told her she should drop it off at the university for That is how I became a lawyer. <laughs> Well, Riley, I'm, I hopefully, when for those of you who are pursuing law, you, you're hearing this. <laughs> but Riley and others, the law has been my one of the great loves of my life. Mm. It's and it was all due to the time when I was a student at the Faculty of Law. Mm. That was the golden age of law. I tell Raymond Atuguba, Professor Raymond Atuguba, yeah. who's the dean there now, and I tell um, Kofi Abuchi, who's the dean of UPSA, that those that was when a law faculty was a law That's faculty. Law. Mm. We had Professor Kwesibuchi coming in, the late. Yes. Uh, he influenced my life in an amazing way amazing way and put me on the path of intellectual property and already i was on the path of incrumism and radicalism as you know both in gender and then with my father's background you know in politics poli my father wasn't a politician but all these politicians used to come to our house because mm. he was a huge businessman mm. at that time not a very rich businessman, as most I people think, think. I think he was very influential. Which is better than yeah. riches? Yeah. I take influence yeah. every day. <laughs> so, so, Chrissy Butri, Professor Akilak Pasoya. Oh, my God. Um, Chachu Chikata came the year after. Professor, the late Professor Mills. Um, uh, oh, you just name it, Professor uh, Albert Fiaggio, um, Professor oh, Deteba, and um, I mean, anybody who you would have heard of in the 80s, 70s and 80s, and who became some a, a giant in the law mm. was where and it was most the most incredible experience and then i was also i doffed my hat off for legon because it enabled me also at that time the choice of subjects that i did i mm. could also go and do a little of the love of my life. Ancient and medieval, oh, they had a course. Wow. <laughs> An optional course, ancient and medieval political history. And what? we used to go to the political science department. Three of us, so that's how fantastic Legon was. Myself, let me name them, myself, 
the late Yao Vene, who was a, who became a lecturer mm. at the Faculty of Law and was brutally murdered two years ago. But mm. he was a lifelong friend, and he also helped me to institute intellectual property law. Mm. I was with him and the late uh, Kofi Kofi Mate, who was married at that time to um, uh, a Supreme Court judge today, uh, a lady Supreme Court judge of today. Three of us, we used to go in the late ambassador Chris Hesse's office. Oh and he just put his legs up on the desk, pull out his cigars, put a bottle of whiskey there. No, I didn't drink any of the whiskey. <laughs> Disclaimer, then, Auntie Betty did not drink whiskey. Did not drink All that whiskey. bloggers out there looking for something. That, that whiskey. <laughs> she was just and there. <laughs> I, was, I just used to look at it and wish I was in it. <laughs> <laughs> and he would sit down and talk to us. Just talk to us about Plato, Socrates. <laughs> oh, what I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall. I'm telling you, and then about Mao Zedong, Kwame Nkrumah. Oh, it was just Nyerere. Who? Oh, these were all people he knew. Mm. I mean, combined with the people I had met from my father's time, it it was the perfect recipe. Wow. My first long paper for my first LLB degree was something something in the fundamentals of Marxist Leninist philosophy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> wow. Tutored by Dr. Gwesi Motri. Oh my God. Oh my Can you imagine? This is where I was completely radicalized. And we had um, uh, Professor Ikuya Kwehinya also there. She was there at that time. And it's, she also helped me with the issue of gender. We didn't realize at that time that gender would be, because I didn't have a problem with gender. I, I was engendered. I was my father's daughter. I was a mold, yeah, you know. My sisters, my sisters one of the first professors, and sister went to Howard and got her MSc, and you know, we were engendered. We didn't see any. My other first cousin was, Director of Finance and you know UNDP resident rep. We didn't know what's the difference between boys and girls. So it was an exhilarating experience. And then of course Chachu, the most fantastic friend. He was more than a lecturer. He's a lifelong friend. He was at my seventieth. <laughs> A lifelong friend. I was so mad I was not there. That seventieth, though. I the oh god. But you we'll know, do it we're again. Gonna be there for the seventy fifth and the eighth. We're going to be there for all. Amen. 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 <laughs> so, for me, these were the experiences that then shaped me. Mm. And when I wanted to do a master's. I talked to who? To Kwesi Butri, and he said, oh, you know, and Akila Kwasoya, Professor Akila Kwasoya, who became the vice chancellor yes. of the University of Ghana. And he said, look, let's see, do something that no one else has done. Do something that's completely new in Ghana and what we need wow. right now to help 
a certain section of Ghanaian people. Don't do gender or this or that. Do the intellectual property rights. Look you go, it. yeah, go to, go and specialize. So there were five universities and I picked, of course, LSE, London School of Economics and Political Science. Went there, had the most wonderful experience. I was with four other guys from different, this is where my GI's background to helped me, this is from different um, legal um, regimes, one from Australia, one from Canada, and one from the US, you know, and it was fantastic. We used to have a study group, go out and drink every Tuesday night after. Disclaimer, <laughs> she was drinking water, okay? No, at that time I graduated <laughs> from Acadia and Coke. <laughs> Not <laughs> yes, okay. But Small. it was marvelous. I had a marvelous time mm -hmm. and um, then returned to Ghana and I got a scholarship. This is where our education system, and if you're somebody who's been brought up to appreciate everything in life, as I said, you might think that you were privileged, mm. but we went through a lot. Mm. My mother sold her jewelry. She sold wow. property. She sold everything to keep us in school, school, both here and in the UK. She wanted the absolute best for us. And, you know, my father was much older than her. He died in 1979. But she she did everything she could to make sure that we went to the best and had the best. Mm -hmm. But getting the masters in the UK was even beyond her. Mm -hmm. So we went to great lengths and she got a scholarship for me. Wow. And um, she arranged, she managed to go to the scholarship secretariat. At that time, it wasn't that bad. Mm. And when you come back, you have to do five years in public life. Mm. Here I am, still in public After life. After five years, you just kept going. <laughs> you know, you. so I went, I, when I came back in 1978, I did my bar for a year. I did fourth and fifth years combined. Mm. I was expecting my first son. It was the most horrendous experience. I wasn't going to even be able to do all of this. It's, that's another story. I went to tell Professor Daniels that I, I can't do this, so I'll defer for a year. And then he said, oh, Betty, that was 1979 politics, if you remember. Mm -hmm. He said, oh, we're going to have a general election. Most of the lecturers are going to, are going to be... Um, involved in it and therefore we are not we're pushing the exams back from oh. I think June to October after the general elections. So you can do it. But I forgot to tell you you have to do proper uh, family law. So what? Because <laughs> they are giving me a couple of exemptions. At that time the policy was when you do your masters and come back, you can you have some exemptions. And then you can do the law of fourth and fifth year combined in one year. So that's what I've been doing. Hey. Mm. Wow. 
I'm telling you, wow. Wow, dear, you say, wow, you have no idea. I put my four-month-old baby, left him with my mother and father at Abeka, went and took a fellow's room at uh, Volta Hall, and 6 a.m., when the fourth years would be going to, to study and do classes, and not classes, they were doing study groups and going to the library, I'll be there with them. Huh? 8, 8 p.m., they would come back, obviously, and then I would wash my face, drink copious black coffee, and sit up with the fifth-year students <laughs> till 2, 3 a.m. 6, 7 a.m. the next morning, I'm up with the fourth year. Oh, my God. It was hell. <laughs> but I passed. I passed. You passed. So, <laughs> you know, the law students recently, a group of them said they are doing something, law faculty mentoring thing, and I told they harassed me to come and talk to them. Oh. I told them, I don't want to talk to you because what I have been through in the law to do my law, I won't think anything of what you are going through now. Oh, no. Oh, madam, we are doing nine or ten something, and we are, it's so stressful for us every day. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I did? <laughs> you know what I did? <laughs> Had a newborn baby. By the time I got back, he didn't even know me. Oh, <laughs> they used to bring him to me once a week. Eh? Leave wow. your newborn baby and come and sit down and do this kind of 20 hours a day. But that is also where I developed my ethic for hard work. Mm. When I started working at the Attorney General's as a payback for me for the scholarship award, I worked. 20 hours a day. I could work 20 hours a day. I used to live virtually in the office. And I'm glad to say that my daughter, I only have one biological daughter. My daughter has inherited the same thing. Now I look at her, I tell her, stop, don't work so hard. But this is, and, and consequently, I have, even though they say I'm a very compassionate person, I'm only compassionate when you work hard mm. because that's what I've yes that's what I've done all my life. Yeah. Look, when I started working, and I was one of the first people in IP in intellectual property. I was sent to the Registrar General's, mm. and I there I met one of the greatest friends of my life, who is still one of my greatest friends and seniors, Felix Intraqua. And um, he was at my 70th with me. He's a whole generation ahead of me, but he's just an incredible guy. And we went to court together. We did intellectual property together. We did trademarks. We did a little patenting and so on together. That was what the real, the real work was in trademarks then. And... With that, I started going to do further courses in intellectual property. They sent me for attachments to the U.S. Patent Office, to wow. Brazil, all over the world. Within five years, that was it for me. I then started teaching people, talking to people about Ghana, about global intellectual property rights. Wow. So I became an intellectual property consultant in my own right. I wrote hundreds of articles and 
all types of research and all types of things in my lifetime as an intellectual property lawyer. And one of Africa, not even Ghana, one of Africa's yes. first consultants yes. who I, they used to send me globally around the world before I became copyright administrator. And through... that was the part that just blows me. Did you guys know that? Auntie, I, how? And, you know, one of our, our, our producers said, in, um, she said that Zoe, Auntie Betty is making me rethink my intellectual property plan, Zoe. Because she went to NAFTI and uh, wanted to go and do law and try to kind of marry the two, filmmaking and law. Um, and try to do, you know, intellectual property something. And it's been such a hard journey that she had to kind of put it down a little bit. So do you see how you telling the stories, awakening her, her dream again of what to do or, or how to go about it? There's a brave new world out there. Hmm. Mine was more the traditional, but even then it was cutting edge. And what I did for copyrights, I'm, I'm not boosting. What I did... No, but it's a fact. I, you're stating it. It was phenomenal yes. in Africa and globally. We managed to attract all kinds of new forms of protection. Mm. I set up an anti-piracy unit. Mm. I set up, um, which involved a, a, a unit with the police to police the, the copying of what? the rights. Yes. We don't, um, I'm sorry, guys. Don't know. No, no, does anyone actually know this? I could you knows it? The late Nana Pedro knows it. Ejaku knows it. Daddy Lumba knows it. <laughs> they uh, all know despite. it. Kwame Despite knows it. All of them knew it. Those in the 80s who started off in IP, they know it. The current deputy minister of uh, arts and culture knows it. We, we instituted a system of enforcement protection for the cassettes at that time. Yes. And that system enabled that system enabled us to put a banderole on each musical work and use some of the money from the banderole as the income tax being paid by mus musicians and performers and producers to governments, because they always used to complain that, oh, the musicians didn't do anything, they didn't protect, they didn't do blah, 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 but they did. And so through this right, I set up the, the Copyright Society of Ghana, the Collective Administration Societies. We helped set up the Copying Societies, I mean, so many things that when you, you, every time you photocopy, you're supposed to pay a royalty. We set it up. We went to the libraries at the University of Ghana and other places. We set up the National Folklore Board with um, Dr. Mohammed Ben Abdallah. He was a fantastic guy and he gave us this opportunity because he was a poet and a literary author himself and a performer. He gave us this platform. And then because I was at the attorney general's, I was enabled further 
to know the law, do the law. And then I had all the huge base, a global base of intellectual property consultants at my fingertips. So we were able to attract people here. I built a two-story copyright office for them. <laughs> I went into a shed. And it's there by Workers, Workers College. Wow. And some of the people I trained are still there. Oh, there. The musicians, yeah, it's a difficult, difficult uh, uh, area of the law. And you can get bitterly disappointed. That is why I also, in 1990, all of this is giving back to society, eh? because of, they enabled me to do my master's and to acquire this knowledge. That's how I looked at it. So I also, I also instituted the course, the teaching of intellectual property as oh an elective. Yeah. This. She says, I remember the bandero on the cassettes those days. It was your work on copyright that got me interested in IT. IIP, Betty. Who is saying that? Uh, Sedinam. Sedinam is okay. in Ohio, uh, USA. She's also the young lady who actually went to NAFTA and is trying to marry the law and mm. film. But that is incredible. Oh. Wow. She should go ahead because there's there's so many different directions these days that you can mm. go in. But the law is basic. You must do the law. Mm. You can't do you can't give legal advice if you are not called to the bar. Mm. So you must do that. That's basic. And then there are so many courses you can do in IP and related rights and film rights. I was on the film board for years, <laughs> you know. Oh my God. Ghana's most famous. So they know me and I know them and they know the contribution, but there was too much ignorance and stigmatization. Yes. Days. It was very, very, it's difficult to be a pioneer. It's difficult, but I I had the most exhilarating period, especially when I started teaching. We instituted the property, the intellectual property rights. I taught it for ten years, exactly. virtually gratis at the University of Ghana. See, this was my way of giving back. Because those of us who went to film schools and did art and culture. I don't know for those who were at like, you know, uh, um, uh, in the University of, uh, of Ghana, but for us at NAFTI and GIJ, we never learned anything about copyright. And please guys, for those of you who are in, in the arts, please for, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in my classes, we didn't do intellectual property, which is an, it's a big disservice to us as artists because they didn't teach us even a tiny little bit of it in school. But it's basic to your work. It's, yes. That's what your whole work is on. I just wrote a foreword for a book. I think I told you a foreword for a book. On I'm, 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 I don't have the guts to sit down and write. It's almost too much for me. Mm. But um, we wrote a, I wrote, just, just wrote a foreword for a book on intellectual property rights in Ghana, written by five Ghanaian some professors, some researchers, and some practitioners of intellectual um, property, uh, property wow. law. But you know, it's 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 it was difficult, 
I loved it. My best friends in terms of the younger generation are those who I taught intellectual property mm. law. And if I'm talking to my younger self, I wanted to stay in, academ in academia. Mm. But you know what? There's almost as much politics in academia as yes, in academia. there is a politics itself. <laughs> which brings me to the question. We have a question from our executive producer, which is a rare, uh, this, I tell you, it bring, you have to be a big gun for an executive producer to even be on the show. But it looks like he's taking time out to be on the show today. Sir, we appreciate you. Thank you. But he says here, dear Auntie Betty, it's been a great pleasure and insightful listening to you. He says he has two questions. One, what's your advice to younger ones who admire and aspire to be like you? That's the first question. And two, what will you say to your younger self? I know you're just about to say something to your younger self. So I figured, let me ask the question and then you will take it from there. Well, to my younger self, I, there's so many things that I would say. I would say, sometimes I tell myself now that, oh, I think in my next life, I want to be a rich Muslim man. <laughs> <laughs> Probably from like Zaria, Nigeria, or like Kaduna area in Nigeria. You know, you know, yeah. but but I think life has been one of hard knocks, mm. but also one of incredible enrichments in terms of human personalities. Mm. I almost say that I wish I had known more people when I was young. Wow. I wish I had developed even more friendships and sisterhood Attention. when I was young. Yeah. I wish I had known that being a girl, being a woman would be so difficult, mm. you know, later on in my life. And I wish I, you know, I, I wish I didn't have to go through such a difficult journey mm. in being a, just just the essence of being a woman, being a of being a girl. Th this is my, you know, th this to me is that even though my whole family setup was for me not to feel any difference, but I, it's life mm. in Ghana, in Africa, makes you feel that little bit different. Yes. And I'm glad that now my daughters and granddaughters, I don't think feel different. And it's taken, I keep telling my daughter, now she talks on Women's Day. Mm -hmm. I've always talked on Women's Day. And she she's now recently started talking herself on Women's Day. And I always tell her, say that... The journey isn't over yet. The fight isn't over yet. And that we, you are standing on the shoulders and the backs yes. of women yes. who have been through a lot. Because mm. my real, even though my real passion in life is academia, my real fight in life is gender. Mm. You know, and I, I don't think we have enough time to talk about that. Oh, but gender God. and the law this is what I did with the law. Even mm. though I did a lot with intellectual property law, I did even more, I think, with, with gender. Wow. Yes, 
and I use the law. And that's why I say that I, I look at the law as a tool for enabling so many things. Mm. It's not going to court. I've never been interested in, in advocacy at the, at the bar. incredible. Wow. But, but using the law to empower women mm. and the mm. numerous biases and the numerous obstacles that we've had to come up with, you know, um, have been have been almost too difficult to bear. I, I, we have, when I was Attorney General, I laid in Parliament in 2011 the amended version of the intellectual property, uh, sorry, the um, interstate succession law, which would have given women... Interstate succession law. Succession law, that means people who die without making a will, mm -hmm. what happens to their properties. Mm -hmm. And it was a 1985, almost revolutionary... Mm -hmm you know, first law that was passed, not only in Ghana, but there, almost all of Africa, there's no law governing that. Um, wow. Families, yeah, families used to do everything. You don't remember those times, eh? When the family threw the widow out of the children out of the house, yeah. And it's this law that Derry John Rawlings passed in 1985 that, that pushed some of us into FIDA, Mm. And we, at that time, and with the queer Aquini and a variety of other senior women lawyers, we held Ghana's first legal aid clinics and assisted women oh to have their rights enforced, to assist women to know their rights and to even know your rights, like intellectual property. Intellectual property, the law is there. People don't know about it. And therefore, what's the use of the law? It's the same thing as in gender. So these are um, the, I stood in parliament, presented that draft law for passage by parliament. That draft law is still there a decade later, a draft. The parliamentarians found it almost too forward, given women too many rights. But the pleasure I've had is it's that it's just a right. It couldn't be I'm telling you. It, it it was, and they said it's at odds with our culture. But I didn't even write the law. The law was, you know, it was, it was. Um, how do you say? Advocated by a, a variety of women gender activists. We wow. fought for so many things. We were in the forefront of the fight. Wow. And, and Nala Miyoko says PNDC Law 111. She says, yes. remember it so well. It's still with us. And that's the law I tried. PNDC Law 111. It's 1985. Hmm. And yet, we cannot have it amended. The speaker promised us when a group, we went to see him, that he would try and do it during his term in parliament. So let's see. What is happening? Another, another essential, uh, other essential pieces of legislation which I won't go into here. Wow. But as for me, 
what do what would I say to the young girls? I would say you just have to keep on fighting for mm. what you believe in. Keep your eye I, on the ball. Mm. Keep your eye on the ball and sisterhood eh, is mm. everything. That phrase that they come that the men came up with, that um a woman is her own worst enemy, is a lie. Nine be lie. Nine, you heard it first here. Nine be lie. Guys, wow. Uh, because wow. we are also our best sisters and our yeah. best sisters. If we allow ourselves to be, I think there's a, a component there that sometimes you are available to be a sister. We all have to look out for each other, even if the other person doesn't want to be a sister to you, you know. Yes. So he's asked me, what advice would I give to the younger ones? And it has to be a fighter. You know, you have to fight for what you believe in. You have to have certain ideals in life. I, I have a multifaceted life. I'm a politician. I'm also an academic. I'm also a gender rights person. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm I'm a very traditional person. I'm head of my family. In very, and I'm an integral part of my family. I believe in the family, and I believe in what's you know the difference. I think that's what I would say. The difference that everybody can make to this world. I've now come to believe in climate change. Um, <laughs> yes. It's mm. true because I've seen it around me and I've seen what's happening to us. Mm. And I believe in environmental, you know, in, in the environment, keeping the environment. My little village, we are now seeing our first mosquitoes and our first rats and mice and oh insects and things. Yeah, a completely oh. wonderful toxic free you know <laughs> environment has now through civilization has now become you know so we all have to be very much aware when i was in the uk i was you know one of the first to come with these different dustbins for different you know things plastics here this and that anything we can do to help the environment anything you can do for your children, your grandchildren to mm. inherit a better place, I think we should do. Women's rights are definitely part of, of, of it for those of us who are blessed enough to have the knowledge mm. about it. And those of us blessed enough to have the capacity to lead the charge for mm. women's rights. I was lucky. I became president of FIDA. I founded the African Women Lawyers. I, you know, done so many phenomenal things and it's been an absolute privilege in my life to have been, you know, in this. I never thought, I never thought that this would be me. I always hoped, but I never thought it would be me. It's a difficult Difficult, difficult journey. Sometimes I almost gave up. Mm. And it was through wow. his grace. Drew Mosson. Drew, exactly. Wow. Yeah. wow. It was through his grace. Not only in physical well-being, but mentally. Up yes. here. Yes. We must learn that. 
you must learn, I say it to everybody, when you stumble in life, you must be able to pick yourself up and move I again. I know what's going on, yes. Don't think that the stumbles in life, are that's, that is what defines you. No. Like I had when I was being bullied as a child, <laughs> you know? You know, I'm, I'm having such a hard time when I look at you now and I say, how, who, who dared that person look at Auntie Betty and go, I'm going to bully you? Like, there's and such persons. And it happens all over. Yes. You know that. It happens yes. all over all globally. Over. Yes. The bullying, it happens all over, not only by older children, but when they think children are different. Yes. You know? Yes. Somebody who has an injury or has a different mind, autism yeah. and all types of things. Yes. So I have great compassion for, mm. for, for, for children who are disadvantaged. And uh, it's incumbent on mothers mm. and teachers nowadays to look out for the signs mm. of bullying because children are too scared to talk about it. I know abroad, it's in the US, the UK, America, it's different. But here in Ghana, they don't talk about it. It's almost acceptable. It's almost maybe. acceptable with the hazing in schools, especially secondary schools. When you go, your school mothers um, make you do things. I mean... I found it shocking. Though. <laughs> Even though I was... When I went to water and the things they were doing, I was just looking at them. Hey, like, what are you talking about? Fan me so I can go to sleep, you know, go and fetch my bucket of water and all kinds of things we had to go through in these boarding schools. Mm. And we, we just found them regular. Normal. Part yeah. of the education. You it's a right. You you have to go through it. Um all, all that it does for you is to toughen you up. But I wouldn't want anyone to be toughened up yes. in that. In that, in that so we have a, a very interesting question, and I know uh, Jane EJOD, who is a, a gifted author, she's just being funny and just being naughty. But she's asking you, when are you going to pursue the archaeology? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to get it out of my system. I mean, at least I learned about Plato and Socrates. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> And it's, it's always been a passion in my life. I watch, I watch TV, I watch National Geographic, all things old. It's just me. I'm interested in it. Wow, wow! And I know um, uh, our uh, line producer Elsie. She, she, I know she's on the train right now and just coming in and out. But if she was here, she would say, "Auntie Betty, we will dub you one of the master storytellers of to my younger self." And when we have the live storytelling sessions we're about to start having you know uh, next year in ghana you will definitely be one of the master storytellers we invite back to kind of just because i could listen to you forever and i've already guys i've already booked my seat with auntie betty i said when i'm in ghana um i just want to just call her and say auntie betty are you home and then I will come. I will bring my own food. Cry. I wouldn't even bother to cook. I'll bring my own food, my own water, and probably my own chair. <laughs> In my house, you don't have to bother about this thing. So. And just sit and hear her talk. 
because the legacy of storytelling, we don't know. See, I, I know at least two or three dreams that are personally connected to me have been reawakened today just because Auntie Betty said yes to us and just kind of talked to us. She wasn't trying to be a politician. She's not trying to be anything else, but hey, this is my journey. This is what I did. Um, there are no airs about it. And if all Africans just learned how to tell our stories without um, trying to gain something out of it, we would it's be Af so good. Let me interrupt you, it's African women. Mm. African women, we need to tell our stories. Mm. The mm. average African woman suffers too much. She mm. suffers just because she's a woman. Yes. She suffers from her childbirth. She's discriminated against in terms of even being named. Yes. You need to bring less one sheep for, for a girl child and two sheep for a boy <laughs> child. One, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> yes. So uh, you're discriminated against all the time. All the time. You have to pay dowry for you. you mm. Decide whether you go to school or not go to school. You should stay home and cook for the children. Look, Ministry of Education, I, it's opened my eyes to a lot of things. The wow. difference, the difference education can make to your life, the difference that having a pair of school sandals and having a school uniform can make to a disadvantaged girl yes. in a disadvantaged community mm. in Ghana, mm. in the Ghana even of today, you have no idea. Oh, that wow. is why, you know, when we started the program of getting free sanitary pads and we were so heavily battered politically, mm. I, I was very firm. Do you know what it's like for a woman to a girl to be in her menstruation in the village? I have certain villages that come to mind when I say this because anytime when we used to drive up north, you pass through some of them, you look and you see it's the girls on the farms who are helping their grandmothers because they couldn't go to school yeah. either because they are menstruating or they just. Yes. The, the mother needed oh. or grandmother needed them to work yeah. in the house. You know it. I know it. And I agree. I'm even a, a, a victim of it a little bit, even though I had a mother who was a little educated in some ways, but um, just simply the, the sanit sanitary pad situation, mm -hmm. I had to go through, yeah. you know, even because she was going through that yes. she was using the cloth and that was all mm. she knew and so mm. that was all she could teach you yeah. so can you imagine um mm. then this is someone who went to school to be a nurse you know it's such a horrific story to think about so imagine when somebody else is especially in, in the northern parts of ghana who didn't have a little bit of education at all what they must be going through um not only with sanitary pads but just almost everything just almost i know i know because i married into the north and my husband mm -hmm very very close and influential in the north as i am so you know it's it's, it's a very difficult situation wow. up to now but now it's getting better wow. we, yes. we we have had to fight and had to break some of the barriers and had to be 
brutalized and assaulted in the most awful ways because of it when I was running for chairman of our mm. political party. They, they literally told me that I should stay home and look after my elderly husband. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, nobody's interested in you just because you're a woman. Nobody who tells you differently is saying anything. The women, that's why I encourage women in politics. Come and see what the women can go through. Not all, mm. you know, but see what the women go through. Especially, excuse me to say, if you don't have a child mm. or you are not married. Or you're not married. <laughs> and even that, ends. not being married can also happen to the men, Cry. Yes, <laughs> but men get married. Yes, it's not <laughs> but I'm just saying that to be a politician in in a man's world, as in Africa, it's not it's not even just Ghana. It's all over. You know, you aspire there to dream wow. to be a chairperson or to be a vice president or president. Ah, that's when you'll be tortured. Look at the, I, how I how I suffered in my life, and yet. I've risen above it. And, and, and so much torture where they make you feel selfless. Just, you know, like not you selfless. Don't they make even you deserve to breathe sometimes. Yes. It's, yes. that's, you know, according but, to Google, guys, but, Google says, mm -hmm. Auntie Betty, I do apologize. Let me cut in because you said something very important. I wanted to bring us back, but Google, I told you Google is your friend, but Google says that it is rumored, and this is Zoe causing a little bit of a ruckus, it is rumored that Honorable Betty Moldridrisu would be the uh, next vice president. Um, oh. In the, <laughs> Google says. At 70. At 70, no. Um, I don't know, so. The United States had a president that was 74 or 70-something as a man, and you when we put the two of you together, I mean, just look at you. You could tell me I'm 50 and I'll take it without question. Okay. And at 70 means absolutely nothing because you can do it way past. But Google has rumored or is saying that it is rumored that she uh, is being tapped to be um, the next vice president in the coming elections. Uh, on the political party side that Auntie Betty finds herself. Now, the reason why I bring this up is that one, she can do it. Two, uh, we'll all be there supporting whoever it is, whether it's Auntie Betty or whoever else, especially if that person exactly. is. I'm definitely advocating that it be a woman. So if Uncle John Mahama is watching over to you and the people around you, um... <laughs> that's wonderful. But I, I, I will, I will say. Even though people say I shouldn't say it, that's what now, dear. That is not for you. <laughs> and this, this has been my one of my problems, if mm. I can say it, mm. over the years. Mm. When this rumor starts, then the knives come out for you and destroy you and chop you down. That's why I say we dare to dream. Mm. And now the young ones, they shouldn't, nice. they shouldn't fear. Mm. They should dare to dream and they should climb up wow. and hold, hold onto their dreams, mm. honestly. And Rosemann Sappen, uh, she says, if the old men can become presidents, and we're not mentioning names, guys. We're just saying, 
you can also become a great vice president in Ghana. I absolutely believe it. Um, I'm just being naughty, just a tiny little bit. No, <laughs> I have no political affiliation, I promise. It's just, you know, I really think that with all the experience mm -hmm. that Betty has um, and her love for uh, women, uh, not only in Africa, uh, in Ghana, but in Africa in general, and also my one true love, filmmaking and intellectual property. For me, she's a shoe in. Mm -hmm. Just Zoe, though. <laughs> my opinion counts. But this is just a Zoe thing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I've advocated that for many times. I'm always telling our Honorable JBM, Joyce mm -hmm. Bauer that listen, if she put her name on a ballot as the first woman president in Ghana, I will give up everything in the United States and come home <laughs> to Ghana, live in a hut and just be like, can I just be part of that team, you know, <laughs> do something. And so I'm just putting my bit out there, you know, Auntie Betty, what, an, what a singular honor and privilege. Thank oh, you. my God. I am so enamored by you, so starstruck. Like on Sunday, I took a picture. I sent it to a couple of my friends. I was just like, look what I just did. Like I just literally had the coolest conversation with this incredible woman of Ghana and of Africa. It is, and can I just say her humility is palpable because this is a woman who can easily give you a little bit of airs and you would say it's okay because she's earned the right to do that. But the way she's opened the door up, at least for me, just to be able to text her and say, Auntie Betty, good morning. I cannot tell you just how accessible she's been. Um, such humility, such humility, guys. Um, if we can do anything for ourselves, let us heed to what Auntie Betty has said to us this morning. Sisterhood is very important. Let us keep fighting for each other and keep our eye on the ball, especially as women. It is so very important. Um, time is far spent and producer, you have to forgive me today. I'm not gonna read uh, <laughs> our, our cue cards. You know, we've always been telling you what to do, patronize Africans. Um, all around the world and in the diaspora. If you're going to put your money uh, anywhere, if you're going to buy a shirt, a dress, a, a shoe, you're going to buy food, try to give it to an African as much as you can, wherever you find yourself in the world. It is very important. Um, can you imagine Auntie Betty's father when he was a businessman in this part of the world if he wasn't being patronized by Africans? We never know what that could have meant. So... <sighs> Auntie Betty, I, I'm trying to unhook. I just really can't because these people are enjoying you so much. And they <laughs> Well, I, I I've enjoyed it. I didn't think I would, but I enjoy it. I, I, my training my training as a lawyer <laughs> enables us to talk talk yeah. to profession. And I love to talk. So today has just been two talking people just talking <laughs> and having a wonderful, incredible conversation. I mm. look forward personally to meeting you, Auntie Betty, in real life. Sure. And just sitting sure. under your tutelage and absorbing everything you have to thank teach. Um, our producer is back in and she says, thank you, Auntie Betty. It's been a pleasure listening to you again after so many years from the law faculty to AWLA. Africa women lawyers. <laughs> yes. Confined to inspire, 
God bless you. And Elsie, in your absence, I actually just did what you would normally do. I extended an invite to Auntie Betty to tell her she is invited back to our master storyteller, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, what they call that conclave, if that's a word I can use. Auntie Betty, what a wonderful time we've had with you. Thank you. What a wonderful Thank you. time. You've been oh. so kind. But let me say that it was Joyce Bauer Mukhtare who convinced me to do this. You with know, my, I... With my daughter and small sister, so oh. whatever she tells me, I know it's in my interest. <laughs> Darling girl. Yes, you know, I kept saying, wow, Auntie Betty said yes. But I know it is because of JBM and Joyce, uh, our Honorable Joyce Bauer Mokhtari. I know you're busy today and I know you'll watch it later, but let me take time out to say I truly appreciate it. You know, there are some people who go on certain programs and say, let's empower each other. They use their words, but they never actually do it. Joyce Bauer Mokhtari is one of the few I know who actively actually says, hey, Sometimes out of the blue, you're not even thinking about anything. And then she just, because she is trying to figure out how can we put this person here to help that person, to help that person. Incredible network quotient she has. I celebrate you, JBM. I'm so grateful for you and for everything you do, not just for me, but to, for, to my younger self. And I know there's so many other young women out there that you're doing this for. So this is not an anomaly. It's actually part of you. And I am so thankful for that. And, you know, Auntie Betty literally just confirmed what I've always felt about you. Immense love and admiration. And my goodness, guys, can we unhook? Stop commenting so we can unhook. <laughs> oh, wonderful. This biggest publisher, Nana Redamwe, says, I missed this. We'll catch up. Did you know Auntie Betty and her family just built and donated a dormitory in Adisadel in honor of her uh, Disclaimer. <laughs> my, 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 one of my favorite nephews, mm. Atumold, mm. Um, fantastic young man. He mm. died two years ago. Mm. And, um, it's, mm. His mother has very generously put the mold family back. It's, <laughs> it's, it's his heritage, what, a, what he has left that the mother is giving back. So we'll, we'll be going to Cape Coast this weekend wow. to go and open that at mold. Wow. wow. It's going to be an incredibly moving, one of the most generous souls I've ever had the privilege wow. my of my family. So. Keep well, us my, in your prayers. My condolences to you and the Mold mm -hmm. family. And of course, we'll be praying for you. And if there's anything mm -hmm. we can do, just, you know, talking about it and, and, and sending positive vibes. And I all. thought Joyce had put something on. So she was. Um, and no, actually. So producer Elsie uh, actually, okay. you, know, you know, tagged her to say thank you to her. Okay. 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 Yes, because uh, uh, Auntie Joyce uh, came to us via producer Elsie, and then you oh, came okay. to us. Do you guys see what Network Quotient can do? And this is all virtual, guys, believe it or not. Let me tell you, when I'm in Ghana, I think I'm going to be one of the most incredibly happiest people on earth because I will be in the presence of greatness, African great women all the time. This is my dream, guys. <laughs> so pray for me. <laughs> 
Okay, we're trying to unhook, guys. This has been to my younger self, the weirdest closing ever, because we always do it so well. Only Auntie Betty can get us to do this. <laughs> it's been an honor and a pleasure. God bless you yeah, all. I hope the message goes far. Oh, I know it will. I know it will. I know it will. The thing about uh, to my younger self is on the day of, we normally would have maybe a thousand views. By day three, people would still be watching and it just jumps up 20,000, so-and-so thousand, and it's always mind-boggling. And it's all because of you guys, uh, the audience, and the fact that you're sharing and you're participating and you're helping us tell these incredible stories. Um, and one day, who knows, we might actually have a film unit where we're just doing biopics of these incredible storytellers um, from Auntie Betty and myself, uh, it's of course a virtual studio. I do have to say thank you to one person who is a pillar, uh, is being a pillar to, to my younger self in, in recent times. Um, Ibrahim Mahama, not the politician. I find that I have to qualify it. Auntie Betty tells me I have to qualify it. <laughs> but Ibrahim Mahama, the artist. Bro, thank you. You are just like Joyce Baumaktari. Your words are a shoe in. Your words are something sure. You don't just talk, you actually act. I know you're traveling right now and you probably would watch this much, much later, but I would tell the entire world what a great person you are. What a great person you have been and continue to be to, to my younger self. And we just absolutely adore and love you. God bless you. And with that being said, guys, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Remember, keep your eye on the ball. Auntie Betty tells you, no matter what's going on in life, keep your eye on the ball. My name is Zoe Baraka. What an absolute pro. I'm trying to close. <laughs> I'm trying, I promise. <laughs> All right, guys, let's go. Let's go. It's been to my younger self. Auntie Betty says goodbye. I say goodbye. We love you. Bye. <laughs>